0: hey guys it's montel and welcome to this edition of let's be blunt with montel and i'm so excited to talk to our guests we have today before i introduce them i thought i'd just uh, point something out i don't know if anybody has been hearing anything about this because it seems like they just uh you know, uh, made it non-existent in the news. I'm not really hearing anybody talking about it. But, you know, when you look at this last election, and I know there's a lot of anger out there. People are, are, are just split down the middle. They don't know which side they fall on. You know, one side you can fall on is the side with the rest of the country and recognize that our nation spoke very loudly over this election when it comes to cannabis. Cannabis was more popular than either candidate in multiple states around the country. As a matter of fact, you know, some of the new initiatives, Arizona's Proposition 207, they passed adult use cannabis in the state, a state that already had legal medical use. And then the state of Mississippi, let me say that one more time, Mississippi passed a cannabis law. You know they passed uh, initiative sixty-five and sixty-five A, which allows for medical marijuana in the state. It may take them a little while to administer it, but they passed it. You know, let's remember also that Montana will allow the legal age uh, for cannabis to uh, a legal age for cannabis amendment. They pass C one one eighteen and C or it's, and one one ninety, and then the state of New Jersey passed legalization. Of cannabis uh, for their question one. And let's not forget, South Dakota made a constitutional amendment and there's changed uh, to allow marijuana legalization in the state. And uh, let's get this clear this is now 35 states which is less than 15 states left that have not legalized or' are still in prohibition. Let's look at some of the numbers that happened. Medical cannabis won in the state of Mississippi with 70% of the vote, 70% of the vote. In South Dakota, 70% of the vote. And, uh, and it also passed for recreational as well with 50%, 54%. In New Jersey, 66% of the vote of the state Voted for recreational use. 60% in Arizona, 56% in Montana. You get the idea. Cannabis won, folks. So if there's one bright spot in this election, for those of you who are still arguing on one side or the other who won or who didn't win, cannabis won. It's telling us all something. The nation should stop and listen. People are sick and tired of the draconian laws against drugs and are definitely speaking out now and understanding that there has been always has been a medical efficaciousness when it comes to cannabis. So for those of you who voted in those new states, I say thank you. And for those of you who live in the 15 that have still have some form of prohibition, we want to do everything we can to help you. And I think one of the ways to help you is to give you as much information as you possibly can get when it comes to a plant that's been around for over 5,000 years and used medicinally that way. And our guest today is really a a groundbreaker when it comes to cannabis in this country. And people don't know, but our guest today is one of the leading pioneers in veterinary medicine for CBD and cannabis sector. His work in medical cannabis for cannabis has garnered international recognition. He's been featured on television shows as a guest, such as The Today Show, CNBC, The New York Times, WebND, and many, many more. He founded Vet CBD, the number one veterinarian-formulated pet cannabis brand in the world. Welcome, Dr. Tim Shu to Let's Be Blood. Thanks so much, sir, for being here, and being a part of the show today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Montel. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. Did you know that uh, we now hit the thirty-five state mark?
1: Yeah, I mean it's incredible, and you know this just goes to show you that people are starting to understand that. Really, there is no good reason for prohibition uh, and beyond that, there are a lot of medical uses for cannabis and people are starting to realize that um, you know and you think about all the people that don't have access to it but could benefit from it and you know we still got a lot of work to do
0: it's absolutely ridiculous that we are in 2020 and but again, I say ridiculous, but at the same time you can understand it because we're living in a society where those who have not been to school don't believe that anything in school is worth believing. You know what I mean? There's this whole you know pushback against science right now out of nowhere just because one buffoon who probably couldn't pass the science class got irritated enough to start acting like you know he's a, a science doubter. But the science is then there. And if you don't believe science, then anecdotally <clears throat> The numbers and the information has been there for over 5,000 years. Cannabis is something that we know works, whether it should be considered a drug or a nutraceutical, categorize it any way you want. But people should have safe access to cannabis the same way they have safe access to vitamin C.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that it's been used for thousands of years, and that's what's remarkable about this plant is that not only has it been used for medicinal purposes, there's a lot of industrial uses for it too. You know, whether people are using it uh, for fiber, to make paper, uh, to make clothes, to make, uh, you know, rope, things like that. Um, There's a lot of different uses for this plant, and it's been around for a very long time. And in fact, the prohibition of the plant is actually a very, very short period of time given that we've been using this plant as a civilization for thousands and thousands of years.
0: And the United States of America was literally built on the back of hemp cannabis. I don't care what anybody says and can lie and say it was about cotton hail. No, it was about hemp. I, the entire revolutionary army of the United States was clothed in hemp uniforms. The Every sail, every rope, every single person in this country ate a porridge with hemp seeds in it a couple of times a week because they knew the value of the protein they were getting. Cause they weren't out shooting a deer every day. And, you know, there's too much rancid meat making people sick and dying. I think science realized very early on that the hemp seed was one of the highest protein laden seeds on the planet. And, but go back, man, back, you know, they, they say that this is one of the, you know, first, Uh, uh, documented medicinal agents written in many forms of pharmacopoeia over centuries and over thousands of millennia. So for us to sit back now and act like all of a sudden something is new, and we've known about this, it's not like we're, we're talking about something new. It's so ridiculous also to me that, you know, 2020, we are now hitting 35 states when back in 2000, Two, the U.S. government granted itself a patent on cannabis. Back then, on CBD back then, the U.S. government funded research in the 90s, in the 80s, all over the world, spent millions of dollars researching cannabis and its efficaciousness. And we are just now hitting a spot where 35 states allowed this to be used. It's, it's crazy, my friend. What brought you to the cannabis industry? Stay with
1: us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. Yeah. So my background is uh, I'm a veterinarian and there's a number of things that really made me pay attention to this plant. One is that there's a lot of different things. uh, For example, chronic pain that we really don't have good treatment options for. Some of the treatment options out there uh, can cause things like kidney damage, uh, liver damage, or GI ulcerations. And so for me, my perspective is that if there's anything out there that can provide therapeutic benefits for our patients then really we as the doctors need to be able to fully explore that potential and if there is no potential if there's no benefits then we've got to say okay we we looked at it you know and we couldn't find anything but that's totally not the case you know as we talked about it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years and so and, there's
0: and, a lot of benefit. and the more and more we look at it the more and more we find out we don't even you know i mean I, you're a veterinarian and i'm not you know uh, uh, i i i know you don't treat human beings but At the same time, there's been so much research that's been done. There are so many peer-reviewed studies out there right now by doctors touting the efficaciousness of cannabis for a myriad of reasons. We know that we and all other mammals on the planet have a specialized nervous system that's called the endocannabinoid system, where we have receptors that are built into our brains and into our peripheral organs that are there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to process the cannabinoids that we make ourselves endogenously. We know that, we know that that same system is then antagonized by this plant that has cannabinoids that are similar molecular structure and our body responds to that. And I guess, you know, if we wanna make sure that our listeners understand that endocannabinoid system has now been proven to be responsible for our cellular homeostasis. What does that mean? It means, you know, for our Goldilocks zone, for our, our cells to operate at 100% efficiency at the mitochondria level, so that the mitochondria go through and help clean out all the bacteria, and all not the bacteria, but all the, you know, negative things that are inside of a cell, they help clean that up and keep it working, functioning optimally, and that's caused by cannabis. Not only does it work in human beings, the mammal, but it works in our pets too. Is that correct, doctor?
1: Yeah. So that's what's really amazing is that the endocannabinoid system is found in all vertebrae animals and even some invertebrates as well. And so when I say vertebrae animals, that includes uh, mammals, reptiles, fish, amphibians. So all of these animals have the potential to benefit from cannabinoid therapeutics. And what's amazing is that, you know, just because we discovered it recently doesn't mean that this system was, you know, is is a recent system. It's been around in terms of evolution for millions and millions of years. It's just that we didn't know about it until about 30 years ago. And so that's one of the most remarkable things is that when we're looking at all, all the other body systems, whether it's the circulatory system, the nervous system, the endocrine system, we've known about those for a very, very long time. But the endocannabinoid system is a very, very recent discovery. And that's what makes it so exciting is because of all the potential that we're able to utilize uh, and be able to take that knowledge and benefit our patients.
0: But when you say it's a very recent realization and, you know, discovery, this is a discovery that dates back to the mid-90s. I mean, sorry, mid-1990s. So we've been doing this for over 20 years. How much more study does science have to do? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we definitely want more studies because a lot of it was, uh, it, you know, we have studies that go back as far as the 60s and the 70s. Now, a lot of these are preclinical studies, meaning that, you know, they, they figured out THC and CPD had medicinal benefits in uh, lab animal models like mice and rats. So we want to be able to scale that up to animals that we see in the clinics. So, for example, dogs, cats, horses, and we also want to be able to do more clinical studies with people. For example, one of the most important things that uh, people are looking at right now is how cannabis and cannabinoids can potentially be used uh, to potentially treat cancer. And that's a really, really big question. And really, when you look at the number of clinical studies out there that specifically address that topic, there's only a handful. And so we want a lot more out there, because if you think about the different kinds of cancers, there are hundreds of types of different cancers. And then there's also different formulations and different cannabinoids that you could formulate to potentially use to attack these cancer cells. But we don't have the clinical studies that we need to be able to do that. Fortunately, with prohibition going away, we'll start to see more of those clinical trials. A lot of that has
0: been led already in places like Israel. I was over in Israel back 2011. Uh, Back then, I literally visited with Dr. Mishulam and saw some of the studies that were being funded and being researched there, especially when it comes to cancer. And even right now, I mean, I think there was a recent peer review um, study out, or not a study, a a document. um, It was published document on the different cannabinoid ability as an anti-inflammatory and being probably better than anything else being used right now when it comes to COVID. I mean, now uh, that to me, I I would think that science would jump at an opportunity to study. Would you not?
1: It's really interesting because when you talk about the anti-inflammatory properties, there's definitely anti-inflammatory properties of cannabis. And what's remarkable is that um, there are some studies looking at different components of cannabis, for example, the flavonoids. Um, and those have been found to potentially be have more anti-inflammatory potential than aspirin, for example. Um, and then there's also components of cannabis that have been shown to be uh, neuroprotective. So they specifically are able to counter neuroinflammation. So for things like uh, stroke or head trauma, um, there's definitely benefits for cannabis. In fact, there was a really interesting study that looked at human patients that were admitted to the hospital for traumatic brain injuries. And what they found was that the ones that had THC in their system actually had better outcomes than the ones that did not. And they chalked that up to potentially being uh, neuroprotective and having effects on neuroinflammation.
0: And there's been write-ups about neuroprotective properties, properties of cannabis since middle of the 90s. I mean, I think if you take a look at, and if I'm sometimes going to say you, but I'm talking about our viewers, you take a look at the abstract portion of the patent application that the United States government filed to grant itself a patent, it talks about the neuroprotective properties of cannabis. And this is filed back in 1999. So it's not like, again, it's something we just found out yesterday. And though a lot of people have jumped on this cannabis bandwagon in the last three or four years, this is information that's been around for a while. And for me, I think it's just egregiously offensive that it's taken us this long. And part of the reason why it's taken us this long is because we haven't been studying it. You know, legally, you can't study it or haven't been able to study it, and though the Fed has just now started recognizing and, and Responding to grant requests and study requests, they've been doling them out very slowly. This has been something that's been fought, and you know, fingernail marks left down the highway in Washington, D.C.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been traditionally incredibly difficult for researchers to study any Schedule 1 substances like THC. Um, you know, if they wanted to study it, they had to jump through so many different bureaucratic hoops. They had to get approval from agencies like the DEA, the NIH, the FDA. And then, you know, even when they wanted to get cannabis, they could only get it from a research facility that was approved by the federal government.
0: Because the University of Mississippi was, was growing some of the worst cannabis in the world. You know, I got you. I've received and looked at and and uh, held some of the canisters from there over time. So it's, uh, yeah, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, so, and it's just been incredibly difficult for researchers to, to want to, that want to study this plant to be able to have the access to do so. But fortunately, at least with the farm bill, the 2018 farm bill, we're starting to see a lot more research come out with hemp related cannabinoids. So for example, like CBD.
0: Which is great. And you know, I mean, I think there's So we're slow, we are still very slow in that process of getting the information out there because you know I'm I've been a very firm believer in and for now close to 20 years because I've used cannabis in my MS regimen, that we haven't even scratched the surface of understanding what the cannabinoids are that what they all are, A, and B, what their interactions are, and C the fact that there are so many that we haven't even discussed. CBG, you know, CBN, THCA. There are so many different cannabinoids out there, yet we focus on just two, THC and CBD, when we know that there is so much more value to utilizing as many of them together in different. Like you said, the flavonoids, you know, uh, some of the fats, you know, using it in a entourage or whole plant form. It seemed to be a lot of people are, are claiming now better outcomes from. Yeah.
1: And, yeah, you know, I love the, that you use the term scratching the surface because that's the way that I describe it to a lot of doctors, a lot of clinicians in this space, is that we're at the tip of a very, very large iceberg. And one that we just have no idea how big this iceberg is. We just know it's large. And we know that we're at the very, very tip and we're just starting to scratch the surface. Um, the endocannabinoid system is just a remarkable system that's tied in to all other aspects of our body. So, you know, you talked about homeostasis and it regulates homeostasis when it comes to things like mood, memory, appetite, metabolism, movement, inflammation, reproduction. And so the more that we learn about it, the more that we're finding out there's even more that we don't know about it. And so it's this entire body system that interacts with everything else. And it's closely intertwined with those other systems. And so by, you know, understanding the endocannabinoid system, by utilizing cannabinoid therapeutics, we're able to target a whole bunch of different disease processes. And that's, what's incredibly fascinating about this field.
0: That's what brought you to the table when it comes to helping research for animals, because again, you really, realize that that endocannabinoid system is in And thanks for educating me today because I thought it was only in mammals, but all vertebrates, which is really incredible. And again, the term endo means that these invertebrates and other animals like dogs and cats, gerbils and other animals that are our pets have a system inside of them where they, whether they ever consume cannabis or not, they have cannabinoids in their bodies. These are ones that our own bodies make. That's what the endocannabinoid means. We make them, we produce them. The two that human beings make are something called anandamide and um, 2AG, which are really so far discovered to be the only retrograde, retroacting uh, chemicals in the system, in the nervous system. Is that correct?
1: Uh, well, there are a couple, uh, other ones, but yeah, what's really interesting is that they do retrograde signaling. Um, most of the neurotransmitters in the body do not do retrograde signaling, um, but cannabinoids have been found to do that. And that's, what's really, really interesting about them. And like you, like you said, what's fascinating about, uh, this system is that our own bodies produce cannabinoids. So, you know, a lot of people, when they traditionally think about cannabinoids, you know, if they've been listening to a lot of the propaganda, uh, from the prohibition era and the, you know, 80s and the 90s, they don't realize that, hey, our own bodies even produce cannabinoids. And so it's it's a really fascinating um, component whenever we're trying to educate people about the endocannabinoid system is to say, hey, your body actually produces cannabinoids, and it's actually required for you to be able to stay healthy.
0: Absolutely. Look, I got to take a little break and pay a couple of bills. And then when I come back, let's talk about, you know, why, when was that aha moment for you when it came to utilizing cannabis in your treatment of animals and people's pets, let's talk about that when we come back. Talking today to one of the leading, not one of the the leading veterinarian medicine doctor in the world that actually promotes the use of CBD and cannabis in uh, and cannabis in the world for when it comes to our pets. He's been featured on Today Show, CNBC, New York Times, WebMD, and many, many more. Now let's be Bob Montel. Uh, he's the founder of VetCBD, uh, which is the number one veterinary and formulated pet cannabis brand, I think, in the world. Again, Dr. Tim Shu. so make sure you come back. We're just going to take a little break. We'll be back right after this. And again, thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blood with Montel, where today's guest is Dr. Tim Shu, who is one of the leading pioneers in veterinary medicine for CBD and cannabis, for Animals and Our Pets. Medical Cannabis for Animals has garnered international recognition and has been featured in outlets such as the Today Show, uh, CNBC, New York Times, WebMD, and many, many more. He's also the founder of Vet CBD, the number one veterinary formulated pet cannabis brand. Dr. Tim Shu, again, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, Her. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk about that aha moment, though. You know, you're a veterinarian. You were obviously, you know, traditionally trained. And then you get out of college. What what made you even think cannabis?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of cases where. You know, and I saw it in my own dog, uh, when she got really old and she was arthritic. Um, and you know, I, I had a hesitancy to put her on some of the traditional medications that we use for chronic pain, uh, because she can be very, very sensitive to a lot of different medications. And this is the things that I had personally seen in practice was that, um, there can be potential side effects with some patients, uh, and using some medications. And so my goal has always been to be able to improve the lives of these animals. And so if we are able to utilize something that could potentially be safer uh, in certain cases, then by all means, we need to be able to bring it to these patients to be able to improve their lives. Um, You know, one of the biggest examples that I've seen year year after year is the the patients that suffer from epilepsy. Um, A lot of these patients have seizures that are uncontrolled. And what I mean by that is that they're already on traditional anti-seizure drugs, but despite, be, despite that, they're still having seizures every single day. Um, and it's really, really hard on the owners because they, they can't stand to see their pet going through that every single day. Um, and sometimes they feel like they're out of options. And it's not until they turn to cannabis that they've actually been able to control their pet seizures. So that's something that's just absolutely been amazing and wonderful to see.
0: I, that's amazing. I mean, I, I want you to talk a little bit more about this because- you know, I think, again, there's there's I may have some people who tuned in today just because they're just, you know, what are they talking about? And don't understand the viability just the same way as we've seen human beings impacted when it comes to seizures and cannabis and cannabinoid treatments. It impacts our pets the same way, Correct.
1: Right and uh, that's what one of the big things is that people don't always realize that animals get the same diseases that humans can you know so whether it's cancer uh, whether it's arthritis uh, or anxiety or seizures animals can be affected by many of the same ailments that we see in people
0: So, you know I I have a, a my manager partner uh friend and her family had a a great day in that um developed a cancerous tumor on it's on one of his forelegs, And literally, you know, the doctors were telling him the only way he's going to live is if you amputated and he's not going to have a great life. It's a great day and anyway. Dog doesn't live that long. Um, you know, don't operate on or operate on it. And they were trying to push for an operation. And my, uh, uh friend decided and opted on a cannabis regimen and they started feeding the dog cannabis, using some salves on his tumor because right, it was big on the you know growth on his all arm and watched over the course of you know, when a doctor say he probably only has you know a very short time left on this planet they watch this this dog go ahead and thrive for two more years and the tumor shrunk and he got his energy back and was you know very very responsive it's one of my uh, closest friends who Literally, you know, they, they worked with cannabis and I think everybody, I I was shocked the doctors were shocked and it works that way. So I know you said that there needs to be more and more treatment when it comes to cancer, but you have people treating some of their pets with cancer, right? Or cancer with cannabis.
1: Yeah, we've seen some really interesting cases before. Um, Now, we want to keep in mind these are all anecdotal cases. Um, So, you know, it's just because we've seen it uh, doesn't mean that we can apply it across the board. But, you know, talking to both doctors and veterinarians, uh, we've seen a lot of really, really interesting cases, um, especially in patients that were diagnosed with cancer and were expected to maybe only live for a couple weeks or a month at most. They start a cannabis regimen and the patients, lifespan gets expanded far beyond what they initially thought. You know, Like you said, sometimes that can be uh, multiple months or sometimes up to a year uh, beyond what the initial prognosis was. So it's uh, really been remarkable to see things like that. And I uh, can't wait to, for us to participate in some clinical trials that are looking into specifically utilizing cannabis for cancer.
0: But now, if you seen that? I, I, again, I know some humans who have been through situations where they have certain tumors, and then they start a cannabis regimen and those two machines shrink. And again, I'm saying you're absolutely right. This is all anecdotal. You know, we can't prove that it was the cannabis that made it happen, but these people have been on regimen after regimen after regimen of, of other traditional Western medications. And the second that they start this, all of a sudden bingo, bango, they get better. I mean, I think there's gotta be a one-to-one association though. Technically I get it. You can't say that unless you have a double-blind study peer reviewed and blah, blah, blah. But I just think we need to get to the other side of the body. Blah. I mean, you know, if it's helping hurt people's pets, we should be able to recommend it. At least you can't even, as a veterinarian, can you really even have this discussion with a patient or with I mean with a, an owner?
1: Yeah. So I'm not in practice anymore, but for the veterinarians that are in practice. Fortunately, in California, they are allowed to discuss cannabis with their clients. They, there is legal protection for them. Um, they cannot recommend and they cannot sell cannabis products. Um, now, when it comes to hemp, that's a little bit different. Um, that depends on the state and the individual state's laws. Um, but we do know that a good majority of veterinarians out there do have conversations with their clients pretty much on a daily basis about CBD. And
0: is that what inspired you to found Vet CBD?
1: Well, for me, what it was, was we, you know, I I talked about looking into cannabis and seeing if it had benefit and being able to provide that information to pet owners. And for me, you know, just being able to provide that information wasn't enough. You know, it's a, I mean, how would you feel if someone said, yes, there is something out there that can help you. Um, I don't know how you can get it. Well, you feel like that's a halfway measure, right? So for me, it's really about, okay, we know that it can be beneficial. Now let's make sure that we provide the product for them. That's uh, been formulated by a veterinarian and that has been triple tested by certified labs so that we know we're getting safe, clean, consistent product.
0: Okay. So, and what, uh, you know, what else differs your CBD product, CBD, from other CBD products that are out there?
1: Yeah. So like I mentioned, you know, we're veterinarian formulated. What we do is we do a triple testing procedure. So for every single product that we make, we do rigorous lab testing. So we'll test it for uh, the cannabinoid potency to make sure that it's on point with whatever the label says. Then we'll test it for pesticides, solvents mycotoxins, E. coli, salmonella, heavy metals, to make sure that we're getting safe, clean, consistent material. The other thing is that we have a lot of people that come from the veterinary industry on our team. So whenever someone calls in or whenever somebody emails us, they're able to talk to veterinary professionals because this is something that is for the health and wellness of the pet. And so we want to make sure that they are able to talk to professionals that have experience because one thing that's really important is that we always tell people, okay, first and foremost, you know, if anything's going on with your pet, you want to make sure that your pet has been seen by a veterinarian to, so that you know exactly what's going on. So, you know, us coming from a veterinary background, we're really well trained in that and, you know, understanding how to talk to the owner and how best to answer their questions.
0: Right. Explain the difference between your hemp CBD line and your cannabis CBD line.
1: So the cannabis line goes through the California regulated system, which is the licensed uh, cannabis system. And then the hemp line goes according to the 2018 Farm Bill Act. So they're regulated by two separate systems. Um, And then on the cannabis side of things, we have ratioed formulations that can be tailored for more specific needs.
0: And and what are some of the possible side effects that uh, the CBD has kind of? The pet developed like a, you know, I don't know, a tolerance to or, you know, an addiction to?
1: No. So no addiction, no tolerance issues there. Um, what's uh, interesting about CBD in general when it comes to both human and animal administration is some of the potential side effects of CBD can include things like sleepiness uh, or sometimes GI upset. So things like loose stools, for example. Um, fortunately, uh, those are very, very minor potential side effects. And then it also happens very frequent, uh, very infrequently. Um, So it's not something that uh, we generally worry about when we come, when it comes to uh, using CBD for both humans and animals.
0: I mean, if, if cannabis was just growing, like wild plant all over the country, animals seek it out when they have, you know, kind of stomach issues, don't they? I've seen, you know, reports of dogs in the wild or, or, People just, where there happens to be plants growing, the dogs will literally go up to a cannabis plant and bite on it, where a dog won't go up to a corn plant and
1: bite on it. (laughs) I mean, I've heard people say that. I I don't have any experience uh, with that myself, uh, so I can't say anything about the validity of that.
0: Sure. Now, now your CBD cannabis product, to be a CBD cannabis product, you would be over the, what is it, the 0.2%, 0.02%? THC threshold, so you are not adverse to giving a animal something with a THC component, in are you?
1: Yeah, so that's actually a really interesting question, um, and the reality is that THC has. Medical benefits. It has potential therapeutic benefits, um, and it's not just for people, but it can also apply to animals. So, for example, THC can be useful for pain, uh, for nausea, for appetite loss, for things like neuroinflammation, and so we do actually use THC in animals. The important thing is that you use the appropriate amount because some t- some animals can be more sensitive to THC, and so you, what you want to do is you want to give really really low doses instead of. what uh, a human might take, for example. And so that's something that's really important is the dosing and the formulation matter a lot. Um, So again, uh, you know, there are medical benefits of THC, but it needs to be used carefully, especially when it comes to animals.
0: And, you know, when you, if you want to use it for animal, you would probably be using it for some sort of pain relief or something like that. So how can you tell number one, if your pet's in pain, number two, if the treatment's even working, how can you tell?
1: Yeah. So, you know, because animals can't talk to us, what we have to do is we have to observe clinical signs. So for example, when it comes to pain, um, one of the biggest things is, are they mobile? Are they able to get around and move around? Uh, so one of the things that people will do is, you know, they'll take their dog on a walk, for example, um, and can this dog, you know, walk down the street? Uh, and then after therapy, is it walking further? You know, is it walking two or three blocks now? Um, and the other thing is also grading lameness. So, you know, how lame are they? Are, are Is it to the point where um, there's a noticeable limp? Are they not even putting the, the leg on the ground um, compared to, you know, they're actually able to use the leg and they're actually having a normal gait or a normal walk. So watching clinical signs and monitoring those clinical signs is key when it comes to animals.
0: And, you know, as a, just as a side, how long do you wait to see if your if your dog is responding or your pet is responding to it?
1: Yeah. So dosing is one of the things that's really, really important. Um, You know, it's, it's like with humans, dose can be different for every patient out there. And so what we always tell people to do is start at a lower level and then gradually work their way up. So gradually titrate upwards to be able to find the appropriate dose. Um, if they find the appropriate dose right away, then typically what we'll see is we'll see benefits in 12 to 24 hours. Now, if sometimes it can't take longer to be able to find that appropriate dose, um, but you know it's like with humans uh, when you take a product, um, especially if it's taken edible or orally, you um, usually feel effects within a couple hours, and we see the same thing with animals.
0: You know, with so much information out there right now, why do you think there are so many vets that are skeptical about, you know, prescribing or even talking about cannabis for pets when they're in pain or, or having anxiety?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of different reasons why. You know, one is that, you know, for example, when I was going through veterinary school, the only time cannabis was ever mentioned was in toxicology course. So we actually never learned about it except for the potential toxicities of getting too much cannabis. Um, We didn't even learn about the endocannabinoid system. And so there is a lack of education when it comes to training, you know, not just veterinarians, but also physicians and nurses. And so when they don't have that education, when they don't have that background, they're going to naturally be skeptical of it. And, you know, which is, which is totally fine because as scientists, we're trained to be naturally skeptical, right? Uh, Extraordinary claims uh, require extraordinary proof. Um, But fortunately, we are starting to see that education ramp up in schools and we are starting to see more and more of the clinical studies. And as uh, doctors and veterinarians start to see more of their patients on things like CBD, and they're seeing the medical benefits for themselves, that's starting to turn the tide. And they're starting to say, okay, there is actually value behind this plant.
0: Well, now, what, what the spectrum, what kind of pets, what pets, types of pets can be helped by cannabis that you take other than like, the dogs and cats?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we've seen, you know, like you said, dogs and cats. Uh, but we've also seen a lot of horses benefit. We've seen people use it for their pet pigs, ferrets, birds, rabbits, rats, mice. So, you name it. Uh, like we talked about earlier, you know, all vertebrae animals have endocannabinoid systems and potentially stand to benefit from cannabinoid therapeutics.
0: It's really interesting. I mean, I think it seems to me that it might be way better feeding animals, you know, little hemp rather than feeding them corn. Never, I say it all the time. You never see a cow walk up to a corn stalk and take a bite ever. It just doesn't happen. But we grind this stuff up and feed it the corn and all the animals that we consume thinking it is some, you know, of some benefit. And it really isn't where hemp and can hemp would probably be of a benefit.
1: Yeah. There are actually uh, some studies going on looking at uh, utilizing hemp for feed in animals. Uh, you know, we discussed earlier that hemp is actually inc- an incredibly nutritious plant. Um, you know, especially the hemp seed and the oil that comes out of the uh, the hemp seed. Um, so there is a, It's quite a remarkable plant in terms of not just the industrial uses, um, but also uh, the, the food benefits, uh, and the cannabinoids are just amazing.
0: You've seen how long it's taken for you know the medical community when it comes to humans to shift even just a little bit. How much longer do you think it's going to be before you know they stop? you know, passing these rules and say, you can't talk about cannabis. I mean, come on, the veterinary community ought to get, wake up just a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, when I first uh, started doing this in 2015, it was a very different landscape. You know, uh, there was a lot of veterinarians where, you know, they were saying, Oh, you know, this is cannabis, uh, you know, cannabis is toxic. Um, but, you know, having done this for about six years now, I've seen the attitudes shift and change dramatically. Uh, so I think within the next three to five years, we'll find a lot more open acceptance and we'll find, and what we're seeing now is a lot of veterinarians are talking to regular authorities and governing bodies and say, Hey, look, we need to be able to talk about this. We need to be able to have access to it because we are seeing how well it benefits our patients. Um, and really we're doing them a huge disservice if we're not able to talk to them about it. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Anything else you want to add? Well, how about if somebody wants to get some information about how to get in touch with you and your organization, where do they go?
1: Yeah, so uh, visitors can go to vetcbdhemp.com. And we've actually got a special code for your listeners, uh, Montel20. Uh, you want to try CBD out for your pet, um, you know, Montel20. We've got a special code just for your listeners. Um, if they have any questions, feel free to call us or email us. We've got veterinary professionals on staff that are more than happy to help you out.
0: And that's vetcbd.com?
1: Uh, vetcbdhemp.com.
0: Vetcbdhemp.com. Make sure you go up there and check it out. I'm Dr. Shu. I can't thank you enough for being here on the show. And I tell you, you have a home here anytime you want. If you want to come back and share some more information, we'd love to have you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. really appreciate it.
0: Yes, sir. No, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be blunt with Montel. You've been listening to Dr. Tim Shu, who literally has been featured on every show from the Today Show, CNBC, New York Times, WebMD, many, many more. He's the founder of VetCBD, the number one veterinarian formulated pet cannabis brand that's out there. And if you want to get more information about him, you can always find it here on our website or you can definitely um, go up on VetCBDHemp.com. Thanks so much, Dr. Shu, for being a part of the show today. Make sure you tune in to the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.